0: Hey everybody, thanks for listening, and as always, thanks to our sponsor, KnowledgeMine, the leader in human performance improvement training and technologies. If you want the most advanced safety technology adapted from the human performance principles of the nuclear and aviation industries, then KnowledgeMine is error reduction that works. They were the first company to tie human performance to serious injury and fatality or SIF precursors. Learn more at knowledgevine.com.
1: In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed oil and gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart.
0: Today, my guest on the show is the industry account manager for Caterpillar Safety Services, Rachel Proper. Rachel, did I say that right?
1: No, you did not, Russell. (laughs) It's okay. I get mispronounced all the time. It's all right.
0: If I were a better podcast host, I would know better than that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's spelled, of course, I always butcher up people's names all the time with my Texas accent. I had the uh, top dog safety guy from Baker Hughes on here a couple of weeks ago, and he's got Italian roots originally. And Mm -hmm. I really butchered up his name, but it is actually spelled proper, P-R-O-P-E-R, but that's that's not how you pronounce it.
1: That's right. In fact, if I were to see it, I 100% would pronounce it proper as well. So no hard feelings. It's actually with a hard O. It's proper. Rachel proper.
0: So it's proper.
1: Yes, that's right. I get mispronounced all the time, but I'll tell you what, my maiden name was Salisbury, like the steak. So I'm sure you can imagine all (laughs) of the teasing I got as a child with the last name of Salisbury. So I went from one to over to proper where I get mispronounced all the time. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I shouldn't tell this, but I'm going to tell it anyway. There's the story about the parents who were, you know, they were like nuclear scientist nerds at Los Alamos or something. And they had a child late in life and they named him Amazing. So there's the stories about all of the kidding he took about his name throughout his life. But then he actually grows up to become quite successful and very popular in the state of New Mexico. So on his deathbed, he calls his wife to his side and he says, you know, I've put up with all the kidding of this name forever. So on my tombstone, I don't want you to put my name amazing on there. Instead, I just want you to put here lies a guy who lived with the same woman for 40 years. (laughs) So she did that. And now everybody who comes by looks at it and says, that's amazing.
1: Amazing.
0: (laughs) Anyway, dumb jokes. Sorry, folks. We are going to get into the meeting. Actually, I've been trying to get Rachel on for a long time here. Rachel goes all over. She's a very accomplished, sought-after speaker. She goes all over the place making speeches. And some of the things that she talks about are actually near and dear to my heart. Rachel, let's jump in there real quick. So we know you're married. You have children?
1: Yep, we have two kids. I have a super incredible supportive husband. We've been together almost 20 years. We have an 11-year-old and a 7-year-old daughters, two girls.
0: That's amazing. And everybody knows I'm in Houston. Where are you?
1: Yeah, I'm in Central Illinois, which is actually where I grew up. I was born in Alabama, so I know you said that Southern... Texas heart that you have there. I'm technically Southern by heart as well, but we moved to Illinois really? too.
0: In fact, this is funny that you mentioned that because I was telling you, I interviewed Lamberto Nono from Baker Hughes, mm-hmm. and we were talking about our accents. And my dad is from Alabama. Ah, We actually moved to Canada for a few years when I was a teenager. And my mom and my brother. Myself, we kind of lost our Texas accents, but my dad never, ever lost his Alabama accent. Yeah. But you don't have an Alabama accent at all.
1: No, I don't. It's interesting, though. I have a brother who's three years older than me. I mean, I was born there and he's three years older. So he started talking in Alabama. And it's funny because at this point, he's also back in Illinois and he doesn't have a Southern accent. But I have noticed anytime he's around anyone with a Southern draw, it comes right back out. When you he moved here and started kindergarten, he definitely stood out as being from Alabama without a doubt.
0: All right. So, enough of the chit chat and banner. Let's, for all the serious people out there who listen to this program for its content, especially as it relates to safety. But we also talk about health and the environment. In fact, I've got some segments coming up on that here pretty soon. But let's talk about safety. Rachel, you have a, in fact, I think this may be the title of your speech. I really like it. You say safety, not just a bolt on. Tell me about that. Explain that to me.
1: Yeah. So we really just focus on safety not being just this added thing that's a check-the-box activity that people want to do. But there really is a way for everybody, regardless of their position, to be able to integrate safety into their job and everything that we do. So yeah, the presentation I give is that is part of the title, not just a bolt-on.
0: Not just a bolt-on. Okay. And so you say safety doesn't happen by accident, in other words.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things where there really is a difference between the absence of incidents and the presence of safety. And safety doesn't happen by accident. We have to be very intentional in order for there to be safety within our organization. And it's really interesting. So many organizations with those lagging metrics that they have, they'll oftentimes think that they're really good at safety. But I think sometimes it's a fair question to also ask, are they really being safe or are they
0: just lucky? Well, and that's part of that. What's the doctor's name with the Swiss cheese analogy? And about how you've just like Swiss cheese, you got holes in the thing. And every once in a while, if they uh, I should remember his name, I'll be getting LinkedIn messages saying, you idiot, you should. But anyway, Dr. James, something I believe. And when those things, you've got all these holes in here. And the only reason you haven't had accidents is because they just haven't quite lined up. But at some point in time, if you've got all those holes in there, they are going to line up. So I have this saying that accidents don't happen by accident.
1: Yeah, that's right
0: which is just what you say it's a result of intentional and specific and continuous. One of my uh, friends is a uh, process lead safety guy for Baker Hughes in a different division of Baker Hughes than what Lamberto's in. And I met him at a conference where he was speaking, and that's his big deal. If you ever walk into your office, he says, as a safety guy, and you sit down and you say, man, we've arrived. He said, you're just waiting for an accident to happen. It takes continuous management. Let's talk about that because what are we managing? A lot of times what I see is they're just trying to maintain compliance with regulations. Is that your experience?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. If you think about the way safety is traditionally managed, so many organizations are focusing on compliance, which... Makes sense. We have to. It's important to do. Do you feel like, Russell, those government regulations are based mostly on conditions or behaviors? What do you think?
0: Do they focus on behaviors at all?
1: Well, mostly not. It's mostly conditions.
0: Exactly. Those conditions, they're fluid. They change.
1: Absolutely, for sure. And there are government standards and regulations that we're following again it's we should be following those sort of things but when that's our sole focus of how we're managing safety it's interesting because we start to put together policies and procedures around that we put together trainings and audits and all of these things that are really focused in on conditions which again is okay there's a time and a place for that but We can start to shift our thinking and get some different results with our safety when we start to focus instead on the behaviors, because I know you know the answer to this question, Russell. Most incidents happen due to at-risk behaviors or unsafe conditions. What do you think?
0: At-risk behaviors.
1: That's right. In fact, it's almost 90%. I know some other people have shared that stat too on your podcast. And so when about 90% of incidents are actually happening due to at-risk behaviors, yet we're oftentimes really managing safety and focusing on those conditions through all of the government regulations. It requires a little bit of shift in what we're doing, and it really requires us to also look at why incidents are happening in the first place. When we look at those incidents that are happening and how they're mostly due to at-risk behaviors, so many times we're training people on what to do. They know what to do. They know how to wear the proper PPE. They might know what the policies and procedures are but they're still doing things unsafely the majority of the time that's causing the incidents. We'd like to take a step back and think about like, why, why is this happening? And if we look at employees' behaviors, what are they driven by? It's so many times an individual's own attitudes, beliefs, and ideas about safety and the attitudes, beliefs, and ideas about what they believe is important from their leaders. So if they're hearing messages constantly from leaders around focusing on schedule or production and productivity, or maybe it's a customer service focus. There's all of these business metrics that, and messages leaders are sending to employees on a regular basis that's influencing those employees' attitudes and ideas about what's important. So if they're hearing that message constantly about all of those other metrics, what do you think they're going to think is most important? Safety or those other things the leader's talking about all the time?
0: It always is what the leadership is focused on. And you've just crashed your safety program right off the bat if that's not where it starts, right?
1: For sure. And so those attitudes, beliefs, and ideas are influenced by all those messages from leaders. You're right. And when those messages from leaders are just happening over and over and over. They're basically norms within our organization. They're kind of like unwritten rules, things that leaders are reinforcing time after time by what they're saying or they're doing or they're not doing. And ultimately, all of those norms are creating the culture within our organization. When you really kind of pull back the curtain and see why incidents are happening, you can really connect it back to the culture. So that's really where we like to talk about and share with people on how they can impact and change their culture. And that takes a few different things, actually.
0: Well, let's talk about some of those things, but one, and I make fun of myself for asking questions I don't know the answers to, which I sometimes do, but actually I've looked at enough of your stuff. I know what the answer to this is, and I really think this is an important point that we're about to talk about, but you talk about driving positive accountability by focusing more on what others are doing right than when they screwed up. You say that probably a little better than I do. I always say, and instead of us trying to catch you doing something wrong, we want to catch you doing something right. Yeah. I think that's one of the five principles in human performance is this positive accountability. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, it's really an underutilized tool within organizations. And when people understand, honestly, there's a scientific connection to it even. Russell, have you ever given like a pep talk to somebody before an event or a big speaking engagement, something to where you've given some sort of pep talk before? Have you ever done that?
0: Sure. Coached Little League for years.
1: (laughs) Perfect. There you go. So why do you give those pep talks? What makes you want to do that?
0: It infuses positive motivation in the players.
1: That's right. Exactly. So it's interesting. There really is science behind when our brain hears positive words, it actually activates the frontal lobe of our brain. It releases this hormone called dopamine in our body, which is a hormone that makes us feel really good. And it also activates the reward center of our brain. When we're doing something safely, and a leader or a peer gives positive recognition for that. It actually is firing off a center of our brain that's motivating action and creativity and strong thinking and some resiliency so that we can focus and do things safely. And it's going to positively reinforce those right and safe behaviors. So this is something we talk about with leaders all the time and how they can do it. Because yes, you can tell people they're doing a job well done or doing things safely and that you appreciate it, but There really are a few steps that we like to share with people that are around how you can effectively give positive recognition for people when you see them doing things safely. So some of those are around, there are like five elements. So one of them is for it to be timely. So if you're walking and you see someone doing something safely, you stop right then and there and give them that positive recognition. So that's the first one. The second thing is that we really encourage people to make sure that it's relevant. So talk about specifically what they did or the actions that they took, the words that you heard them speak, whatever it was, be really specific about what it is. So be relevant with your message. Another element is around being sincere. Like you want them to know that you really care about them as an individual and that it really means something to you and to the company for them to behave in this safe way. So you want to make sure they recognize that and can see that you're being sincere with your message. Also for leaders, it can and should be confirmed, meaning it can be a dialogue and a conversation. It doesn't have to just be saying something and walking off, but allow them to respond in some way and be able to engage in a conversation with you around it. And then the last one is around frequency. So we always encourage a seven to one ratio of positive recognition versus coaching to improve. So we tell people all the time, there are absolutely a time and a place for there to be coaching to improve because people will mess up and will do things wrong. But are people doing things safely most of the time or unsafely most of the time? What do you think?
0: Well, if it's the right organization with all this stuff in place, they're doing more things right than they are doing wrong by a long shot. That's right. And that's one of the problems. I mean, what you're describing here is the very opposite of that, what I come back to all the time, that safety cop mentality, which I think plagued safety programs for so many years. And I guess in some organizations, it still does. So the safety cop goes out and hides in the bushes and he finds five people who didn't wear their PPE properly or something like that. And so he writes that report up and gives everybody a ticket, so to speak. He sends it to the HSE person in the office. So the next thing you know, there's this huge meeting about you idiots better start wearing your PPE. Well, there were five people out of a hundred. Most everybody doesn't even need to hear that message. They're already doing it.
1: 100%. You are spot on. When we recognize that those sort of things that you just described can Actually, drive the wrong culture and behavior, you know, the opposite of what we're trying to create. So, even though there is a time to coach to improve, it's natural for us to want to catch people doing things wrong or to focus on the negative. One example I talk about is like, think about if you were a kid and had a report card, or maybe you have children and they bring home a report card and it's all A's and a D. What do we focus on first? It's that D.
0: (laughs) You're going to see that D, right?
1: Immediately where our brain goes and solely focusing on the negative, just switch that perspective a little bit where you can focus a little bit more on the positive because you're right. Out of 100 people, there may have been five not wearing the proper PPE, but 95 were. And so let's recognize them for doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. It's going to drive and reinforce the behavior that we're looking to have in the first place.
0: That's exactly right. Leadership needs to drive this examining attitudes and beliefs and ideas about safety. We need this positive reinforcement. We need this positive recognition. Now, I guess maybe the other element in there, which you touched on just briefly, but how do you tactfully give safety feedback to others?
1: Mm. Yeah, so I do think following those five elements is going to be key. But I think it's also just a matter of there are a couple of different ways to give recognition. So it can be formal where it's planned and rehearsed. And there could be some sort of reward. It could be done by someone who's of a higher authority or figure within the organization. But those sort of things happen at that lower frequency. So I think an important way to be able to implement this is to be able to focus on giving recognition in that informal setting. So I think sometimes with recognition, people think more of that kind of formal piece. When you're focused on an informal recognition, sometimes it can mean a lot more to people. So it's more spontaneous and off the cuff. And outside of those words being spoken right there in that moment, there really isn't much of a reward that takes place. It can be typically more one-on-one. And the thing that I really love about recognition is I think with recognition and the way we're talking about it, it's often by default, the thought is a leader of some sort to an employee, which is perfectly fine. Obviously, that's going to be really powerful. But one thing that's great is that organizations can also encourage recognition that's peer-to-peer. Let's get that atmosphere and culture going, everybody that's out there in the field doing the work. And then what's something that I think people don't always think of is that you can really provide recognition from an employee up to a leader as well. So when leaders are demonstrating the right things and supporting people in the right way and building trust with their people and creating psychological safety, so there's this environment of openness and honesty and people being able to come to them. It's really just creating a different atmosphere for that employee and leader relationship that can make a big difference within the culture. One example that I can think of is that we were working with an organization to help them in their safety culture improvement journey because that's what we do here at Caterpillar Safety Services. And they have always said that employees absolutely have the right to stop work. If they see someone doing something unsafe, well, I think a lot of organizations say that, but that culture and environment really may not be in place where people are actually going to take that action even though they know that leaders within the organization say that. And so this one organization that we were working with, they've been through one of our processes that really helped with culture improvement. And they had reached a point where an employee had seen something that was unsafe that was going on, and he did stop the job. And this was a major job. So for him to stop it, there were repercussions of that. But instead of anybody getting frustrated or bothered by the schedule and any kind of profit that's lost by the job being stopped... Instead, there was actually recognition to that employee for them stopping the job. So those frontline supervisors were giving that positive recognition right there on the spot. But also the president of the company found out about this because one thing we encourage a lot of times is to ensure that there's connectivity and messaging going back and forth between all the leaders of the organization. So when the president caught wind of this and found out what was going on, he actually wrote a handwritten thank you note to that employee and mailed it to his home for him to know and understand that he took the right action and that the president of the company appreciated him doing that because there's nothing more important than their employee safety, which is a pretty powerful representation of how recognition can then reinforce that desired behavior that they're actually wanting to have happen within the organization.
0: I can't really add to that. We started off the podcast stressing the importance of leadership. Actually, there's a, everybody talks about it all the time, but that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to learn to do. Appreciate your time. I really appreciate this information. We actually have a podcast called The Energy Pipeline with Jordan Yates and the Caterpillar Team. In fact, we were at the Permian Basin International Oil Show a couple of weeks ago, and she was actually doing podcasts at the Caterpillar Tent. So Caterpillar's heavily involved in the oil and gas industry but you transcend all the various different industries that Caterpillar's involved in is that right
1: Yeah that's absolutely right Obviously Caterpillar is a really large global enterprise but our team which is Caterpillar Safety Services we call ourselves a small but mighty consultative business unit that's essentially within Caterpillar so we provide services and solutions focused on more of that people and organization And so while our team doesn't specifically design the safety features or even the technologies that's on our machines, and we don't even train people specifically on how they should be operating our equipment, we have other teams within Caterpillar that do that. So we work very closely alongside them to ensure that we as Caterpillar, as one front, can really bring a holistic safety approach to our customers. But yes, we do support organizations, again, by engaging and involving employees in safety and we also really just focus a lot on leadership development, too. So we ensure leaders know like, how to demonstrate effective safety leadership. They are setting clear expectations around those proactive safety activities that we've talked about and obviously noticing and recognizing really the things that people are doing right to reinforce that desired behavior we've talked about. And yes, we do it regardless of industry. So, of course, we're working with organizations that are CAT customers that have CAT equipment, but we're also working... With organizations, really, regardless of what their industry is. I mean, we've even been in conversations at one point in time with an organization that was an amusement park. So we apply these processes across the board for any industry, and we actually apply them internally within our own facilities as well, which is pretty cool. We've, as Caterpillar, we've been on our own safety culture improvement journey for quite some time we've made some really significant improvements in fact in about the last 20 years or so we've made over 90% improvement in our recordable injury frequency rate oh wow yeah we've been able to do things kind of like focusing on some global standards to ensure that across the world we are on the same page but then once we were able to start focusing more on culture and leadership that's really when we were able to go from that good to great stage when it came to our safety so We clearly have a corporate EHS team who's responsible for all the great improvements that we've made over the years. But it's really cool because they're leveraging the processes and training and tools that we offer externally within our own facilities as well.
0: Well, that's great. Rachel, you're another great guest. Really, like I said, I've been trying to get you on here for a long time. So I really appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Very much appreciate it.
0: Well, as I probably said already somewhere in this podcast, I am proud of the fact that this is a top-rated show, and it's not because of the host, but it's because of the quality of guests, so I really appreciate you coming on.
1: Absolutely. Thanks.
0: And as always, we send out a big thank you to all of our listeners, and if you could write us a good review on iTunes or Spotify, or even if you're just looking the show notes, there's a link there you can click real quick on and leave a review. You can always reach out to me on LinkedIn with questions or comments if you yourself or you have a good idea for a show or a good idea for a good quality guest and kind of what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast no matter what level your safety program is on right now you can always do better and so we want to acknowledge our sponsor knowledge vine knowledge vine brings you human performance improvement training and technologies that are adapted from the nuclear and aviation industry they're your dependable partner for full service human performance and safety consulting and their contact info is also in the show notes and we'll see you next time